We all know the right answer to that question, I suppose. We know that we're supposed to say yes when you get asked that in church. So let's consider the question a slightly different way. Do you consider yourself to be blessed? If you were to answer the question honestly today, would you say, yes, I really am blessed? Maybe our answer to the question would vary according to how things are going for us at this point in our lives. Our answer might even depend on how the people around us are doing. But we often assess our own situation by comparing it to others and whether we think they're doing better or worse than we are. Well, as we turn to the book of Deuteronomy this morning, we're going to hear Moses pronounce a blessing on the Israelites. And his words are going to help us, I think, to answer the question of whether we are blessed. We're going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 33. If you're using a church Bible, it's page 213, or in the larger print Bibles, 326. <clears throat> As you're turning there, let me just remind you, we are in the final section of the book of Deuteronomy. Chapters 31 to 34 deal with the last days of Moses' life. And he spends those final days, first of all, publicly handing over to the new leader, Joshua, and then handing over to the Levites his own written copy of the Lord's instruction to Israel. That was in chapter 31. Then in chapter 32, Moses taught the people a song. It was a song given to Moses by the Lord, and Moses taught it to the people so that they could sing it in the future to remind themselves of the truth. The truth about God and the truth about themselves. And then the final verses of chapter 32 and all of chapter 34 deal with Moses' death. Both the reason for his death and then the actual event of his death. Next week we'll look at those two passages together. But in between them comes chapter 33. Where Moses pronounces a blessing on the people. It's the final public act of his life. After he dies, the Israelites are going to cross the Jordan River and they will begin to take possession of the land God had promised their ancestor Abraham centuries before this point. So let's read Moses' final words to God's people. <clears throat> chapter 33, verse 1, and we'll read through to the end of the chapter. This is the blessing that Moses, the man of God, pronounced on the Israelites before his death. He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. Surely it is you who love the people. And all the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet they all bow down. And from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us. The possession of the assembly of Jacob. He was king over Jeshurun when the leaders of the people assembled. 
along with the tribes of Israel. Let Reuben live and not die, nor his people be few. He said this about Judah. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. About Levi, he said, your Thummim and Arim belong to your faithful servant. You tested him at Massa. You contended with him at the waters of Meribah. You, he said of his father and mother, I have no regard for them. He did not recognize his brothers or acknowledge his own children, but he watched over your word and guarded your covenant. He teaches your precepts to Jacob and your law to Israel. He offers incense before you and whole burnt offerings on your altar. Bless all his skills, Lord, and be pleased with the work of his hands. Strike down those who rise against him, his foes, till they rise no more. About Benjamin, he said, let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. About Joseph, he said, may the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above, and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth, and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains, and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness, and the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush. Let all these rest on the head of Joseph, on the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty, he is like a firstborn bull, his horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he will gore the nations, even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim, such are the thousands of Manasseh. About Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and you, Issachar, in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain, and there offer the sacrifices of the righteous. They will feast on the abundance of the seas, on the treasures hidden in the sand. About Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. About Dan, he said, Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. About Asher, he said, most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers. Let him bathe his feet in oil. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze and your strength will equal your days. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you saying destroy them so Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in a land of grain and new wine, 
where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. This is God's word. And you will have noticed that it begins and ends by speaking about the people as a whole. And in between, in the long middle section, it speaks about the individual tribes of Israel. And before we look at the details of this passage, if you were here last week, when we looked at the song in chapter 32, it's noticeable how different this blessing is. The song was brutally honest about the feelings of Israel. In many ways, the song was a witness against Israel. It highlighted their crookedness, which made the Lord's greatness and grace stand out all the more. But here, the focus is on all that God's people have going for them. Because they belong to the Lord and he is for them. The opening verses focus on the truth that we are blessed to be servants of the King of heaven and earth. The Lord is not from this earth. He created it and he is sovereign over it as the creator. And so his involvement in events on earth is not the involvement of one powerful being among many. And we'll just see who wins out in the end. It's not like that at all. The Bible says the Lord is truly king of all. And that is pictured here in verse 2, which recalls the Lord's meeting with Israel at Mount Sinai. This is an event that happened 38 years before this point. And it was a terrifying experience for the Israelites. And verse 2 explains why it was terrifying. It says, the Lord came from Sinai and dawned over them from Seir. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came with myriads of holy ones from the south, from his mountain slopes. Sinai, Seir, and Paran are all in the desert area to the south of Canaan. That's where Israel had arrived after they left Egypt. And there God met with them in a way that displayed his majesty and his power. His presence dawned over the people like the rising sun. He shone forth in his majesty. It was an awe-inspiring event. And like a true king, the Lord came with his awe-inspiring army. In this case, an angelic army. That's what verse 2 is referring to when it says he came with myriads of holy ones. Or we might say thousands upon thousands of holy ones. An invincible heavenly army marching beside the king of heaven. One of our songs describes him as the king in need of nothing. And that is what verse 2 is showing us. And that is what makes verse 3 all the more amazing. Because describing the same invincible, all-powerful king, verse 3 says, Surely it is you who love the people. 
All the holy ones are in your hand. At your feet, they all bow down and from you receive instruction. The law that Moses gave us, the possession of the assembly of Jacob, he was king over Jeshurun, another name for Israel, when the leaders of the people assembled along with the tribes of Israel. So in verse 2, the holy ones were the angelic army. In verse 3, the same description is used for the people, the Israelites. They are God's holy ones too. And they're given the privilege of serving him, not in heaven, but on earth. And as servants of this great king, they're given a job description. The end of verse 3 says they receive instruction. And verse 4 says that instruction is the law Moses gave us. So the Lord is king of heaven and he's king of earth. And his people have the awesome privilege of being his servants on earth. How do they serve him? Simply by living according to the instruction given in his word. The Lord's servants are not left to guess how we might serve our king. We're not given the task of deciding how best we might represent him. He has given us instruction. It would be miserable, and maybe some of you have had this experience, it is miserable to be given a job to do and to have no clarity on how you're to do it. But it's not like that for God's people. We serve the king by listening to his word and doing what it says. And it really is the same for you and me as it was for Israel. For them, God's glory and majesty shone forth from Mount Sinai. For us, the New Testament tells us, that same divine glory shines forth in the person of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, in his gospel, he begins his gospel by saying, we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. And John goes on to show us that glory in his gospel as he recounts the life and the ministry and the teaching of Jesus. And the New Testament doesn't hesitate to call those who belong to Jesus holy ones. It's often translated as saints or sanctified ones, but the meaning is exactly the same. We are the king's holy ones. We're given the honor of serving him on this earth. And we do that by listening to his word and doing what it says. So then, are we not blessed? Not only to be counted as the holy people of this greatest king, but are we not blessed to have this most significant purpose to our lives? You and I, if we're trusting in Christ, we're not condemned to spend our years serving lesser gods like profit margins or business expansion or making a name for ourselves or winning awards or trying to inch our way up 
one or another of society's ladders. Our lives have a purpose that is blessedly greater than building a nest egg for a few years of retirement. You and I don't have to manufacture a reason to get out of bed every morning. Our Creator has commissioned us as His holy ones on His earth. That's why we get out of bed every morning. And whatever kind of work we're in, in terms of employment, whatever duties might occupy our time, as God's people, we have a purpose that goes above and beyond that work and those duties. As we go about our work and our duties, we do so as servants of the King of heaven and earth. As we bring up children, as we care for family members, as we use our money, as we do things in the church, in all of it, we're not just passing time. Our lives matter. And what we do with them matters eternally. The things we do matter because we are servants of the great king. I think it's easy for us to forget what a blessing that is. It's easy to forget there is no higher honor or purpose than the purpose we have as God's people. Some time ago, a very successful man committed suicide. And the note that he left behind said, I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. I am fed up with inventing devices to fill up 24 hours of the day. What a sad description of a life. But doesn't that describe the life of many, many people? Trying to invent a purpose for themselves. Trying to fill up their time. We cannot put a price on the blessing we have. The blessing of knowing that every day of our lives has a purpose in the plans of the great king. Every act of obedience, every word of truth that is spoken in love, they all matter. They all count. No matter how small they might seem to you sometimes. That blessing belongs to all of God's people. But that does not mean all God's people will have the same experience as they go through life. Absolutely not. And the next part of Moses' blessing moves from focusing on the unity of the people, the blessing they all enjoy, to focus now on the different blessings they experience. They are one people given varied blessings. In verses 6 to 25, Moses pronounces blessings on the different tribes within Israel. There are significant differences in the amount of focus given to each tribe. Some receive what seems to be just a passing mention. Several of them are mentioned in much more detail. But I think we can identify seven varied blessings 
that are pronounced here. Let's first of all notice what they are before we think about their significance for us. The first blessing is given to the tribes of Reuben and Judah. And it's the blessing of survival. The first line of verse 6 is pretty straightforward. Let Reuben live and not die. The second line is more tricky. The NIV says, nor his people be few. But you'll notice if you're using the NIV, there's a footnote down at the bottom of the page, which gives an alternative translation. But let his people be few. That's quite different. In fact, it's the opposite. One is saying the tribe of Reuben will be large. The other is saying it will be small. So which is it? Well, the same expression used here is used in other places where it means few in number. And we ought to assume it has the same meaning here too. But of course, the reason we might look for a different translation or a different meaning is because it doesn't seem much like a blessing to say, let Reuben live and not die, but let his people be few. That seems a bit bare bones. The tribe of Reuben will be blessed by surviving. But isn't that a blessing? The tribe of Simeon is not mentioned at all in this series of blessings. Simeon disappeared in the history of Israel. So it is a blessing that Reuben will continue, and it's the same with Judah if you look at verse 7. Hear, Lord, the cry of Judah. Bring him to his people. With his own hands he defends his cause. Oh, be his help against his foes. There's a sense there that Judah will be isolated, clinging on by its fingernails almost, but still surviving. And out of that survival would eventually come Israel's greatest king, David. And later, after centuries, when Judah again did little more than just survive, Jesus came, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He triumphed over sin and death and hell. So survival might not seem like a great blessing, but in God's timing, it can be the forerunner of great things. Well, then comes the blessing of responsibility. It's pronounced in the tribe of Levi. We already know that the Levites have been entrusted with the book of God's instruction that was written by Moses. He's already handed that over to them. And they are to teach that instruction to all Israel. And here in these verses, more of their responsibilities are mentioned. They will oversee the whole sacrificial system in Israel. And they will seek God's special guidance using the Thamim and Arim. Those are mentioned in verse 8. There were two small stones used by God for a period of time to give direction in special situations. Verse 9 says the Levites put these responsibilities even above their family ties. Their first loyalty is to watch over the Lord's word and guard his covenant. The Levites have been given a serious and solemn, we might even say a heavy set of responsibilities. Are those responsibilities also a blessing? Yes. 
but a very different blessing than the one given to Benjamin in verse 12. About Benjamin, he said, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. The image there is of a father protectively holding a little child. The child is cradled in the father's arms between his shoulders. Benjamin will enjoy the blessing of intimacy with God. What's described here is the experience of resting in the intimate care of the father. We might say, well, isn't that rest available to all of God's people? Yes, it is. But what we're being told here is that Benjamin will be blessed with a particular experience of that intimate care. Next we hear about Joseph. And this covers the two tribes that descended from Joseph's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And they will experience the blessing of every advantage. A whole cluster of blessings. You look at verse 13 about Joseph. He said, May the Lord bless his land with the precious dew from heaven above and with the deep waters that lie below, with the best the sun brings forth and the finest the moon can yield, with the choicest gifts of the ancient mountains and the fruitfulness of the everlasting hills, with the best gifts of the earth and its fullness. And the favor of him who dwelt in the burning bush, let all these rest on the head of Joseph. And the brow of the prince among his brothers. In majesty he is like a firstborn bull. His horns are the horns of a wild ox. With them he will gore the nations. Even those at the ends of the earth. Such are the ten thousands of Ephraim. Such are the thousands of Manasseh. Ephraim will be blessed with a lush. Fertile land and tremendous strength. Manasseh too. And in fact, when the land of Canaan was divided among the tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh were allocated a large central area that was rich and fertile in all sorts of ways. Next, Zebulun and Issachar are blessed with influence. Look at verse 18. By Zebulun he said, Rejoice, Zebulun, in your going out, and you, Issachar, in your tents. They will summon peoples to the mountain and there offer the sacrifices of the righteous. They will feast on the abundance of the seas and the treasures hidden in the sand. Zebulun will branch out, taking to the seas. And together with Issachar, they will summon peoples to worship the Lord. So whatever the initial impetus was for Zebulun going global, maybe trade with faraway places, maybe that's what started them off. The result of it will be wide influence for the Lord. Next, Gad and Dan are blessed with boldness. Verse 20, about Gad, he said, blessed is he who enlarges Gad's domain. Gad lives there like a lion, tearing at arm or head. He chose the best land for himself. The leader's portion was kept for him. When the heads of the people assembled, he carried out the Lord's righteous will and his judgments concerning Israel. 
even before this blessing was pronounced, the Gadites have already shown their boldness by asking for prime land on the east side of the Jordan River. They were bold enough to ask for land outside of the promised land of Canaan. And their request was granted. It was good in God's eyes. They will cross over the river into Canaan and they will fight with the other tribes until every tribe has its land. And then Gad will go back to enjoy the land they claimed east of the river. So Gad's boldness is not selfishness. They're not taking land away from other of God's people. They're going to fight for the rest of Israel. But it is boldness nonetheless. And if Gad has the boldness of a lion, the tribe of Dan is a mini version of Gad in verse 22. Dan is a lion's cub springing out of Bashan. The tribe of Dan eventually headed out of the land that had been allotted to them to claim land further north. And then finally, two tribes are blessed with material prosperity. Verse 23. About Naphtali, he said, Naphtali is abounding with the favor of the Lord and is full of his blessing. He will inherit southward to the lake. About Asher, he said, most blessed of sons is Asher. Let him be favored by his brothers and let him bathe his feet in oil. Oil was an expensive item. So if you had enough oil to bathe your feet in it, you were loaded. The bolts of your gates will be iron and bronze. Again, signs of significant wealth. Those are the varied blessings Moses pronounces on the tribes. Now we could probably debate whether all the words that I've used perfectly sum up the blessing that's given to this or to that tribe. There may well be better ways of putting it in some cases. But I don't think there can be any debate about the main point of verses 6 to 25. The one people of God are given varied blessings. However we sum up the blessings that are given to each tribe, they don't all get the same blessings. Israel as a people are blessed to be servants of the King of Heaven and Earth. All Israel shares that blessing in common. But as they serve the King, those servants do not all have the same characteristics the same experiences, the same responsibilities, or the same resources. Some of them have a boldness the others could never match. They just have it in them to attempt and to succeed where others wouldn't even dare to begin. Some of them are given heavy responsibilities that others couldn't carry. Some of them are entrusted with wealth and advantages that way beyond their fellow Israelites. Some of them find themselves with significant influence. They find that even foreign nations respond to their invitation to come and worship the Lord. Others 
live with a sense of closeness to God and an experience of his love that is simply beyond the experience of their fellow Israelites. And for some in Israel, their experience is one of simply hanging on. As each month and each year goes by, the best they can report is that their head's still above water. Just. Do you think that same kind of variety exists among the people of God today? Certainly it does. In the church we often speak about varied spiritual gifts, meaning different skills for serving. But the variety in the church goes way beyond that, doesn't it? In this room even, there are significant variations in the amount of wealth we have been entrusted with. Significant variations in the advantages or lack of advantages we've had in our lives. In terms of our background and opportunities. Significant variations in the degree of responsibilities we carry. The kind of personalities we have. And yes, even significant variations in the experience we have of God. Now don't misunderstand that last one. If we have come to God through faith in his son Jesus, we all have an equal welcome with God. We're all equally forgiven of our sin, all equally headed for an eternity in God's presence. But it is nevertheless true that in this life, some will experience a level of intimacy with God that makes their fellow believers scratch their heads and say, why isn't it like that for me? Now, I'm not talking about the kind of distance and coldness we can experience because of uh, sin. Sin does disrupt our intimacy and our fellowship with God. And repentance and obedience deepen our intimacy and fellowship with him. So the Father's arms are open wide to every single one of his children. And we can all grow in our experience of closeness to him. But it is still true that some of God's people are blessed with a kind of fellowship with him that is not granted to the rest of us. And then aren't there some of God's dearly loved children who are blessed simply by being given the strength to hold on. They never seem to be free of struggles. They never seem to take significant strides forward. They just keep going. That is God's blessing to them. This point about varied blessings is a very important one for us to come to terms with, I think. Because so often we look around us in church and we play the comparison game. Why is she healthy and I'm not? Why is he earning that 
and I'm earning this? Why is he an elder and I'm not? Why does she seem to be so even keeled and I'm like a chicken with its head cut off? Why did the person she invited come to church and the person I invited didn't even reply to me? Why does he have such a great family while my family's like the monsters? Why does he have life so easy all the time when everything's so hard for me all the time? Why does she always seem to get amazing answers to prayer while my prayers feel like they never go past the ceiling even? Do you ever get on that roller coaster? Comparing God's blessing to you with the blessings he's given to others? And when you and I do go for a ride on that roller coaster, doesn't it always seem like God's blessings to others are greater than his blessings to us? But aren't those blessings his to begin with? Isn't it for him to distribute them as he wishes? And even if all he seems to be blessing you with is sheer survival, just keeping on one day at a time. We simply do not know what good he will bring from our perseverance. We saw that in our passage with Judah. Judah, it seems, was going to be isolated and in fact was isolated later in history. Judah was blessed simply to hang on by their fingernails. And yet from that hanging on, would come Jesus Christ, the Lion of Judah. We don't know what God will make of the blessings he entrusts to us. Our part is not to despise those blessings. Our part is to serve him faithfully with whatever he gives us in the situation that he gives us. Because in Christ, we are all blessed to be servants of the King of heaven and earth. And wonderfully, we are all blessed with perfect security in the care of the eternal God. The final verses of chapter 33 leave behind the variety of God's blessings, and they return now to a blessing that belongs to all of his people. We've noticed that some will have a greater felt experience of God's love and care. But the fact is all his people are cared for and loved. With a love and care that cannot be bettered. Verse 26 uses this name Jeshurun again, which is God's affectionate name for his people. Look at verse 26. There is no one like the God of Jeshurun who rides across the heavens to help you and on the clouds in his majesty. The eternal God is your refuge and underneath are the everlasting arms. He will drive out your enemies before you, saying, destroy them. 
So Israel will live in safety. Jacob will dwell secure in a land of grain and new wine where the heavens drop dew. Blessed are you, Israel. Who is like you? A people saved by the Lord. He is your shield and helper and your glorious sword. Your enemies will cower before you and you will tread on their heights. Or perhaps tread on their backs. When an army was victorious, they would symbolically place their foot on the back of their enemy to show their victory was complete. These final verses describe total victory and in the meantime, total security. The Lord rides across the heavens above his people. His arms are underneath his people And he goes before his people. His care is comprehensive. As his people, our circumstances are going to vary considerably. We've seen that. Our felt experience of his care is also going to vary. But the reality of his care is exactly the same for all of us. Whatever we go through... He is surrounding us with his care. And he will bring us to victory in the end. And so we are secure all the way to the end. Whatever things look like, whatever things feel like, the Lord's care for his people is more sure and concrete than any of the trials and losses we go through. Because trials and losses are temporary. The Lord's care is everlasting. And so verse 29 says, Who is like us? An incomparably blessed people. Because we belong to an incomparably great God. Let's confess this truth together. That all of us, all through our lives, are held in his hand. Let's also acknowledge that we are a people saved by the Lord. Saved through the sacrifice of his son on the cross. The Lion of Judah became the slain lamb for our salvation. Before we... Give thanks specifically for that sacrifice around the Lord's table. Let's bring our praise together for the goodness of God. And then we'll focus in specifically on Jesus and his sacrifice, the blessing that that is.
of the good man.